You know how sometimes you just meet somebody and there's this feeling of, oh, you're so cool. You're amazing. And that was my first impression when I met Diana Tanner. So I just read on her Facebook page, let me give you one of her latest posts, case in point. It said, this is a, this is a loose quote, a summarization, but it said, if I don't make you feel safe, then there's a problem and I need to change that. So not only does she desire to make people feel safe, but she also declared that that is her yardstick for how she is doing. And I found that to be so compassionate and so incredibly inspiring. Hey guys, it's Ashley Meyer, your host of the Hero in the Mirror podcast. In these episodes, we explore what's actually possible for you. We'll cover neuroscience, a blend of life coaching, inspiration, elite performance, and simply how you can create an incredible day every day. If you're human and listening to this, then you are a creator. So grab some tea or coffee, or if you're driving, latch that seatbelt, because we're going to discover that you're already the hero in the mirror. To give you a little bit of background, Diana is a coach, a personal development support for queer and polyamorous people, and she is taking a stand in an area of society that I know does not get a lot of light and representation. We don't understand it thoroughly, and I would say for myself, this is true too, that I was confused by what does it even mean? How can you, you know, operate like that in the world and still be ethical? So maybe you guys have heard of the term ethical non-monogamy. I believe that is what is the going term for polyamory today. I, I could be wrong. This is not the way that I conduct myself in my personal relationship. However, I find it to be extremely helpful to dissect relationships where multiple partners, multiple, you know, ethical agreements are brought to the table and then respected and navigated every damn day. And that's just so freaking cool. Like, look at all the divorce rates, look at all the issues, all the problems and, you know, suicides and domestic violence issues, assaults and things like that. Like, what would change if in relationships across the board, we started to figure out how to communicate, how to set boundaries, how to have certain standards with each other, and then toe the line and be respectful and, and seek out someone else's area of safety, what makes them feel good, what makes them feel secure and, and warm and comforted and loved. Like, God, the whole idea of a connection, of a relationship is to care, is to survive, is to be connected and, you know, even be one, I might even go so far as to say. You're existing as a unit, whether, I mean, that has a little bit of religious background there, but whether you are religious or spiritual or not, I think it's a really beautiful concept of just coming together with people 
and connecting with them in a meaningful way to you, whatever that looks like for you. So this, like I said, this is a topic that I'm really passionate about because I care so much about relationships and some relationships have multiple people, right? We look at a family system, there are multiple people involved. And so I found a lot of inspiration, a lot of ideas as to just how to communicate better for myself. And this is an area where I actually take a lot of pride in and I'm very intentional in my own relationship. So for me to take notes, I mean, y'all should be taking some damn notes. This conversation is really special. I just wanted to reiterate that to you here and now. Grab some paper, grab a pen, grab your phone, the notepad in your phone, whatever you're using to take notes, because bet you're going to use that. Thanks for tuning in. Hello. Hey, hey. How's it going? Fabulous. How are you? Awesome. Yeah. Good weekend? Yeah. Actually, like, low-key. I don't know. I just I just existed, and it was good. Hey, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, there was some stuff on my to-do list, and I didn't do it. Hey, no judgments here. I'm an enabler of not doing things, so I'll take mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I love how bright your space is. <laughs> we uh, so moved into a new house and we were going to paint everything. And I started with the closet and then we were like, well, let's build a new house in a couple of years. So now we're just not painting. So this is literally the only painted room in the entire house. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time here, don't you? Yeah, this is my, it's my closet, but I converted it into an office. Yep. That's why it had to be painted, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. I hear that. I hear that. Shrek fan, huh? Um, yes and no. That's that's not why I have that. But yes, a Shrek fan. Why do you have that? I feel like you're leading into that question. (laughs) I'll just ask. I used to do some cam work. And I got that for when, like, all of the people would be like, show us, baby. And so I'd, like, put a donkey Mm -hmm. in be like oh look there's my ass that's hilarious <laughs> it, i mean it made me happy so whether or not anybody else cared about it right uh it's a super turn on there just like yep there it is that's a nice ass exactly and i used it for tiktok the other day too so which is why it's out and not in the pet net <laughs> oh my god you have a pet net you just got like way cooler I, in, I, in my I, eyes reliving well no I'm living the childhood that I wanted because I wanted a pet net for the longest time and I didn't get one and now I have a yeah. purple one because if I'm gonna have one it's gonna be in my favorite color that's so good it's you can't make that up you're gifting yourself the childhood that you wanted yes that's with all the ha- crazy hair colors and everything not that I currently have one but you know right so this this is not crazy this is not crazy hair. This is right? failed crazy hair. Failed? What do yeah. you mean? So it was supposed to be Grinch green and red for Christmas. And like all I have is like this okay. red left. So it, it looks like you you were trying to set your hair on fire, only it didn't <laughs> burn off. And now it just looks awesome. But I don't see the green. Yeah, because it all faded out. Like I stopped. Oh. I I I'm using like not the color safe shampoo and stuff, so it's washing out faster. So that oh. by the time I redo it, it's more even and not 
This red. this is the re- strip of red that won't quit though. This is the strip that won't quit. <laughs> looks looks good. I don't oh, yeah. I don't know that you need to change it a bit. Well, I do because I bought my favorite color again. The first color I did has so far been my favorite, and I bought more of that. So blue. It's turquoise on me, mm. <laughs> and uh, it's bright blue on the oldest child. Okay. So okay. So, I guess it depends on whose hair it's on. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, my philosophy on hair is don't have any. I mean, I did that for several years, so. <laughs> it's so awesome. I, I save shampoo. Right? So much time and money is saved by having a shaved head. That's what I did. Right? Right. I've shaved head several times over my life. Yeah. I I did the shaving, growing back, shaving, growing back. It's like, it was like the, um, what's the right word? Like the physical manifestation of my identity, like, like trying to go this way, trying to go that way. I was like, I don't know who I am. I'm just going to do this and then do that and yes. repeat, rinse and repeat. So the last time that I shaved my head was actually like in defiance of authority. Mm. And so... Um, that was fun. I, I, I've never been so rebellious in my life and it, it felt good, but that was also, you know, a manifestation of the childhood that I didn't get to have. I didn't get to shave my head because I grew up Catholic and long hair was so valued and yeah. it made me a girl. And yeah. Yeah. The first time I ever shaved my head, I, I was so proud. Cause it was like, it was like, I had arrived. I'd become my own. And then my dad was like, you used to be beautiful. That's what he said. That was his reaction. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what the hell? I was like, well, and it, it was like an unfiltered moment for him. I don't think he meant it on deep levels. And I I was certainly like more okay with myself than, you know, had I been someone who was like, could have been devastated by that. I mean, it was hurtful. Mm-hmm. I was hurt, but it was just was like astounding that his face value reaction was that was like, you're now no longer, you know, in my mind, what, what this definition of beauty is or should be. And I was like, I, I never forgot that. And I don't know if he remembers it, but it just, I'm, I'm like, there's so many forms of beauty. There's so many forms. I can't even tell you. And to me, I just, rather than get mad from that, I'd rather, um, fight the battle on behalf of beauty of all people, you know, instead of be like, well, here's my sob story. Who can I defend? Who can I fight for? And who can I appreciate on the journey? Because you know, I've, I've just known so many people, people in my family who either have like a quote unquote alternative part of their identity, or they've explored things that like, you know, are just not part of normal mainstream right. cultures. And that it's so interesting that you come from a Catholic background um, because mine was very very religiously driven too. So yeah, I I wonder if maybe we have some of the same or similar elements of our upbringing. 
probably i'm fine that it's yeah. really common talking like with my friends and mm-hmm. you know i look at how many of us are not catholic now and i'm like hmm, there's a surprise we've all grown up and like learned to think for ourselves yeah someone invited me to to like a facebook page that was like something about religious trauma i was like oh that resonates because not that it's like a rejection of spirituality or religion at all but it's just the expectation that you should be all these things and you have to fit inside this box but you got to be straight of course that's Uh a give that's a given oh yeah you know and interesting i was like this is a cool vibe like this is there are people like this in the world because i didn't know that until i was like 25 yeah it's it's astounding how far it's come and like all the things that i that i know and i see now and i'm like oh like where was this information when i was forming my life like why couldn't i have had this information back then when it would have served me really well yeah yeah how um if you don't mind me asking how do you define your spirituality today or what does that look like it looks like whatever i happen to feel like at the moment i don't do organized religion i do witchy stuff but it's just kind of Mm. for funsies and to to try it out that's another thing that i was interested in when i was younger was like tarot cards and stuff and so yeah it's it's more again the embodiment of the childhood i wish i had because that was the time that i was supposed to experiment with these things and supposed to try on all these different identities and thoughts Mm -hmm. and ways of life and it didn't happen so i get to do it now Mm -hmm. do you find that the themes of catholicism like bleed through in some of your exploration today just because they were presented to you when during like formative years i've done a lot of conscious work to undo that so not so much but i did like especially when i like when i first got married my husband was an atheist when we got married and i was no longer actively catholic but i hadn't officially said okay i'm not doing this anymore at that point Mm -hmm. and so like a lot of stuff would come up and he'd kind of look at me sideways and be like i i don't think that fits with you anymore and i'm like oh yeah i get to rethink this now yeah that's super freeing Mm -hmm. i my brother and i kind of fall in the same both queer both kind of let go of just organized religion is a good way of putting that and not really practicing, but we both get a lot of pressure and uh, especially around holidays in our family. And so together we're looking to like expand the conversation and use different alternative terms for God or, you know, the divine or goddess or other, you know, I really like the idea of, of whatever super being, being like feminine that's so cool because it's so not the verbiage and like anything I ever heard before. So that's a side note, but. It's funny because I was writing a post today and I I used goddess in a place where I would have used God. Mm -hmm. And I do the same thing because it's not necessarily that goddess falls into what I believe, but it pisses off all the people who have something to say about the fact that I am no longer Catholic. So I will throw that in there and just be like, it's, it's my little fuck you to the people who 
tried to force organize religion down my throat and shame me for not believing in a lot of the really, really abusive themes and, and ideas behind the Catholic church. Yeah. What would you say is the main abusive theme, at least how it affected you as far as an abusive theme? What would you say it was? Maine is, <laughs> Maine is such a hard term with that. I think as a parent, the one that the idea that I will love you unconditionally, but only under certain conditions is like, I can't imagine looking at my children and going up to my children and, and telling them this and then expecting them to trust me and expecting them to want to have a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. I will love you unconditionally means I will love you unconditionally. Otherwise, it's not unconditional love. Mm. Yeah. I that's, think that's probably the biggest one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a powerful example. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I just, I, I'm not, not yet a mother of humans. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I have four dogs, but it's, it's a little different. And I just, I'm thinking about a lot of those things now in anticipation of that mm -hmm. and and i probably like you but correct me if i'm wrong um i just want to introduce my my children to multiple terms multiple ideologies i don't think that any particular religion is the only basis for like morality or anything like that you don't need it for that I just think that humans inherently, like we have good and we have evil. It's just like, let's look at both of those things. You don't necessarily need a religion to do that. But I think that I'm fearful um, to maybe like have the reins in terms of what they see and what they encounter. So I just, I just hope to have a, an open mind, I think is what I'm saying. The the way that I look at it is there's, there's stuff that they're going to encounter no matter what you do. Like we had no intention of doing Santa Claus or anything like that. And yet one day our, one of our kids came home talking about Santa and like, all right, I guess we're doing this because they found joy in it. So that's what kind yeah. of decided if they find joy in it, then we'll just go yeah. with it. And if yeah. they, if they're like, no, this is hogwash. I don't believe any of it. And then we'll be like, yeah, it's, it's a thing, but let's not spoil it for anybody else. And we really just focus on like, what does it mean to be a good human? And then as they're exposed to other ideologies and religions and stuff like that, we, we talk about it as we come up, as opposed to like creating a curriculum around it. There's enough exposure in the world where they, they come with questions. They come with yeah. ideas that they've picked up from other people. Yeah. I like that. Um, upon exposure, I'm a very like prescriptive, I like to be free spirit too, but like, if, if you let me make a curriculum, I will, and, and it will be rigid. I try for it to not be, but I guess my brain just thinks like that. I, I thrive on structure, but I hate structure. So I end up largely unstructured and my parenting reflects that. Like there's not, there's not a whole lot of structured implemented until there's a good reason for it, but it usually works out once, once there is. And kids are just so unpredictable that 
Yeah. Like that's, yeah, there's, there's, there's no predicting where any of this is going to go. Right. Yeah. Structure is often just like an illusion of control. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that, like, that was so beautiful how we just brought up control because I was going to go there with you. Um, I had questions about control. Uh, well, first of all, I know that you focus on personal growth and development, mm-hmm. um, but you specifically serve like the queer and polyamorous communities. So I find that really interesting um, because you're like, well, here's this group of people. They need to better themselves too. And like, I'm, I'm their girl. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, but then for me, I've, I've never had any sort of polyamorous experience. I, I've, I've known people and, and sort of heard things, but my thoughts are that, that they're just, and my experience too, because any of my thoughts are going to come from my experience, but anyone I've known who has lived a polyamorous life is someone who relinquishes control, especially over other people. And I, I think that's incredible. So is, is that like an incomplete definition? What would you add to that? So part of polyamory is embracing the idea that we never should have believed that we could control other people to begin with. Mm. Because toxic monogamy culture tells us that once we enter into a partnership, we get to control the other person or the other contr- person controls us. It's usually mm. one or the other. You have, you tend to have a controlling person in the relationship. There isn't as much equity as there should be in the relationship. And so what you do when you go through the personal growth process, and I say when you go through the process, because somebody can decide to be polyamorous, but if they haven't done the work, all they're doing is they're taking monogamy ideals and trying to transpose them onto multiple humans at one time. Mm. whereas successful polyamory comes with a lot of intentional personal growth and if you don't do it by intention it's gonna come up anyway so you may as well get ahead of it and do it on purpose on your terms instead of as things are getting thrown at you and you're you're being caught in the undertow um but the idea is that we need to embrace our autonomy and and take responsibility for ourselves and so personal responsibility is also recognizing that which you don't have control over and Mm -hmm. autonomy is acting on your own benefit your own behalf and knowing that you are the only person that you can control and so like when we talk about rules boundaries and agreements i can make an agreement with somebody do i have to keep it no there's no way that anybody can force me to keep an agreement that i make but I choose to out of my own integrity or I reevaluate it with them. But it's, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And it's the same with people. You can prescribe all these things. You can come up with all of these ideas. And a lot of the problems that we encounter is we have ideas for people. We have expectations for people and we've never even vocalized them, but then we still get hurt and disappointed when they don't follow it. And so yeah. Like there's, it's like a break. There's so many elements and you can't just pick one element and focus on it. You kind of have to weave everything all together in order to get the big picture. But the, the basic idea is you have to recognize 
that you don't control anybody anyway. The only person you control is you. Yeah. Yep. And, and to that point, it's, I just see a lot of people who have never explored other identities. We could use religious examples because we just went there and we were talking about, you know, devout believer believers in specific um, God led systems. And um, I think with a lot of that, you just get rigidity and you've never questioned. And so then it's like, well, I'm really what's happening. What I think is happening is that they're uncertain inside here. And so then, well, my solution to that is just to control others around me. Mm -hmm. Since I can't really control me. I've never even explored me. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you say that because that's actually the focus of like what I have going on right now is figuring out your authentic self. Yeah. Because we weren't raised to know who we are because it's literally a skill to figure that out. And it's a skill that nobody gave us. And the majority of us were raised in a way that everything that we wanted, we needed, we said, we did, we felt was invalidated. So we learned to never trust ourselves. We learned to not care about what we wanted because nobody was going to listen to us anyway. Nobody was going to act on our wants, our needs. And so we've gone decades and now here I come and I'm asking you to figure out who are you? Like, what does the real you look like? What feels good about your life? What do you want to change about your life? And people are like, I don't know, because they don't have the skill set to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was on your website. You talk about unlearning the fear of being honest. And that, that ties into that self-discovery really who is my authentic self because like you're right we don't we don't speak truth about who we are for decades and then when when someone like you comes along and says no it's okay you know let it out let it out like like you need for the real authentic you to come out it's terrifying well and especially if you've learned that that hiding your authentic self is is a form of people pleasing as well and so yes. if you've learned it if you've learned trauma uh, people pleasing as a trauma response then you can have a very real physical reaction to asking somebody asking you to be honest about who you are and all of these thoughts that come up, like, nobody's going to want to be with me anymore. Nobody's going to like me. I'm going to lose all my friends. My family's going to abandon me. Yeah. And it's because you can pull from somewhere where something like that happened. Mm -hmm. And so we just continue on with our people-pleasing tendencies because right now, the discomfort of hiding who we are and not figuring out who we are still outweighs the discomfort of seeing what happens when we're honest. Wow. Or the other yeah. way around, one of the two. Right, right. It's like a dueling honesty system, mm -hmm. internal versus external. Wow, I, I never thought about it like that, but I, I think that you're absolutely right there and you're onto something powerful. So then the question becomes, 
how do you make it more essential that your authentic self come out and that you overcome this trauma, right? Because that's, you know, what other way are you going to get it done mm-hmm. and, and actualize and become the real you? And really just about everything boils down to choices. Do you choose to grow and be honest about who you are? Or do you choose to stay closed off and continue in this role that somebody somewhere prescribed to you Mm. and now is so comfortable in that it's familiar that it's scarier to step outside of that. And it's, it's all choices. Do I choose to grow or do I choose to stay where I'm at? Do I choose to, you know, be honest in little baby steps or do I choose to blow the whole thing wide open and say, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And so it's Mm -hmm. just a series of choices. Do I choose to be honest about this part, but keep this part under wraps? Who, who do I expose myself to? Who do I go to for help? And it's just most everything boils down to choices. Yeah. I love that. And it, it takes like a lot of bravery to go there. And, and the thing with choice is that it's not like a one, one and done. I made my choice. It's, mm-hmm. it's like a repeated choice. It's because like they, it, go ahead. I was going to say, it's like when they tell you, you never come out of the closet just once. It's a lifetime process. I hate that. hate that. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it on my forehead? Can you see? No. Right. Um, I'm like, <laughs> Can you, see you know what? Let's just put it there. Let's mm-hmm. just do it. <laughs> it would save me a, a lot of headache, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, but I would love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. The the torture of making a repeated choice um, because you might like one step forward, three step back it. And then it's like, ah, oh, this choice is really, really killing me, you know? And how powerfully did I make it the first time if the next time it was presented to me, I got timid, I got scared, and I went, I went back. It's like being a kid all over again. And this is why I say this is the shit you should have learned in school. Because yeah. when we're little, we don't just up and start running one day we get up on our hands and knees and we rock back and forth and then we crawl and then we stand holding on to something and then we take a step or two and then we fall and then and it's just like that it's learning the new skill in that same exact way so you are going to make a choice and you are going to feel empowered and then something's going to come along and it's going to shrink you and you're going to feel scared again and that's okay that is part of the growing process because every time you do it you're going to feel a little bit stronger. You're going to feel a little more empowered. You're going to be a little bit braver mm-hmm. and you'll keep going. And the setbacks are part of learning a new skill. Nobody picks up a skill the very first time and just knows it forever and never messes anything up ever. Yeah. It is. It's so easy to forget that the setbacks are part of the process. And maybe this goes back to the trauma as well of, of, um, well, not only people pleasing, but just believing that you're not enough. It, you know, if you've never done right, according to someone else's standard, then, then let a setback happen. And suddenly you're like, oh no, I, maybe I'm not meant for this. I'm not capable of this. 
and all that's normal, but it's like, if you don't have that resolve, which comes from your powerful decision, your powerful choice that you've made, you might live the rest of your life in that setback. And the problem is a lot of people don't go through this process. They wait until they feel worthy, but until you start standing up for yourself and speaking your truth and being honest about something, even if it's just as simple as, no, I don't want to order Chinese for dinner. I want pizza instead until you start doing that and you don't die. (laughs) You do the scary thing and you don't die. You're not going to believe that you're worthy. So it's kind of a, you know, chicken and an egg. Some people can get to the worthiness part without trying it out, but most people can't, but then they don't want to try it out because they don't feel that they're worthy of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where coaching comes in handy because you have someone who can hold on to your faith, who can hold on to your belief, who can cheer you on and, and tell you just how worthy you are while you try it and then catch you when it scares the shit out of you. Yeah. I love that. Uh, coaching has profoundly, profoundly changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and I I aspire to give that same space to to those who who are coming with me on this journey and and i just i want to exude such patience for that part of the process because i've fallen down i've been i've been the person who questioned whether she was enough as she was so I don't, I don't know what the mark is. Like, that's the other thing that's really hard about this is there's no, there's no tell, like, you know, you've, you've arrived or you've made it. All of this is just your, your personal definition of, of wellness. Like when, when am I, let's be honest, none of us are ever like really done working on ourselves. It, I think the day I die, I'm going to be doing some real important work exactly. <laughs> on, on me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing There's there is no end in sight, but mm-hmm. there's, that also means that there's still room to make it better. Like you said, until you die, the, the day you die, there's still room to make it better. There's still space yeah. in your life to have more happiness, more fulfillment, more authenticity, more of what brings you joy and more room to let go of the things that doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's still going to be practice no matter how far along you get. It's just, it becomes easier to identify where you need support and how much support you need. And that's why coaching is not meant to be a lifelong commitment, at least not with the same coach. (laughs) If you're with the same coach the rest of your life, something's not going well. And so like, I tell my clients, I want you to outgrow me. I want you to outgrow me so much so that you need someone who's even further along the path than I am. Like that is the idea. I don't want you to become dependent on me because that's a lot of what happens in coaching too, is Mm. it creates just as much codependency as you find in a monogamous relationship. And so being able to know when to push people so that they get to that point because most people left to their own devices you can cheer them all you on all you want 
but you need to go with them. You need to step with them and give that encouragement and give that little push that says, okay, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Like we've talked about the possibilities. We've talked about how bad it can go. We've talked about how good it can go, but you have to take this first step. I'm right here with you. And so getting people in that process and being able to have faith in themselves and have you is a really important part of the coaching process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you, um, that, like, I think that is so rare. Everything you just said about coaching, like you want your clients to outgrow you. Nobody's saying that you might be the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Cause I've heard other people say it before, but it's definitely, it makes me feel better about somebody's practices when, when they can mm -hmm. admit that they should not be your only coach forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'll stay at your level. Like you said, they'll, they'll never outgrow you and, and they only know ultimately what they're destined for. And that was going to be my next question about your authentic self. What are the markers? Like if, if I'm your client and I'm, I'm seeking, uh, I'm, I'm trying to express the truest form of my authentic self, What's the marker that tells me I'm at least on the right path to figuring it out? When things feel good. Like you, whether it's an immediate, oh yes, this is right feeling, mm. or it's a, you know, you look back on the last month and you're like, oh wow. Like, I don't remember it ever being like this before. Those are your moments that tell you, and part of the process of getting to your authentic self is learning to listen to yourself. Because again, we're training that muscle that got shut down, that told us what we want and what we needed didn't matter. So we have to learn how to see and feel what that's like when we come across. And so like a really easy way to start that process is like small tasks that you do on autopilot, even though you don't like doing them. And then another way is um, like the food. Do you want Chinese? Do you want pizza? Like, you know, that's an easy way to identify for most people. Oh yeah, I know what I want to eat. Okay, so that feeling that you feel right there that says, yes, I want the pizza. Let's expand on that. Let's look for it in other ways. So now that you know what it feels like, you yeah. can learn to look for it in things that aren't food. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. That's a practical example because everybody, um, huh, practical polyamory. <laughs> right. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Um, everybody eats and we all have these typically strong preferences when it comes to, you know, I, I want this, I want that. And so and you can identify the don't too. I don't. Yes. Want, I know I don't want this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually part of why it is practical because I look for practical solutions, practical ways that apply to your life. Right. And, and how about like, can you just speak to the, maybe the naysayers and the people who are like, can it really be that simple? You know, listening to my food preferences or what I, you know, what I know I don't want, like, will I actually get to know myself that way? You know, I could just see people like doubting that and, and I've experienced it. So I might know the validity, but just speak to those people who are just like, can it really be that simple of establishing that small practice 
those baby steps. Whenever I hear that, I hear my mom's voice, even though I know, you know, this didn't originate with her by any means, but I still hear my mom's voice. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And that's, I mean, that's really, it sounds so simplistic and it's something most of us have been hearing our whole lives, but it's true. If you want this to work, it will work. If you don't want it to work, it's never going to work. And yes, there might be some tweaks that we need to make along the way to find what works for you. Like I have one client that I absolutely adore because they will tell me in a second flat if this recommendation that I've made or this thing that I've suggested, they're like, no, that's not going to work for me. Okay, but now we can figure out what will. Mm -hmm. And so it's instead of going no, that's not going to work. So none of this will work. It's that's not going to work, but I want to find something that will. And that's what determines whether or not it works for you. Mm-hmm. It sounds like an open mind is required. I, I like to have some pretty creative ideas because mm-hmm. part of it is if it feels too similar so, to something you've already done, then you're going to backslide into that familiarity and just play it out the same way you've always played it out. So I want to add some sort of twist, some sort of something that's distinctly different from how you've done it before. That is incredible. A distinct twist. I love that. That's that's pretty brilliant. (laughs) Um. (laughs) And the funny thing is before 10 seconds ago, I couldn't have verbalized that to you, even though that's part of my process. Yes. So there you go. Oh, (laughs) but you're so right because we, we get in the ruts and the, we build the hard wiring for what I've done, what's familiar. And then I, before I think about it, in fact, the point is not to think about it. I've already done the thing I've done a thousand times and never stopped to ask myself the question, do, am I actually enjoying this? Is, is this what I want to do? Another tool that I like to give people because it is so common and I, I did it myself. This is a tool that I realized that I, I needed because I was struggling was I will go back and I will call myself out and I will, like, I have done this to my husband dozens of times. You know what? I acted out of habit. I acted on autopilot. That is not what I meant to say or what I really want to do. So I'm going to walk it back and we're going to start this conversation over again. Oh my gosh. Who are you? <laughs> Me? You're like not human. I'm, I'm superhuman. Doing the work that I'm, I'm meant to do. That's, that's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're applying the tools to yourself, which is so commendable. Yeah. I, I want to appreciate you for that. Yeah, I know you you give yourself the credit and your your husband and everybody who has witnessed you doing this probably feels like they can backtrack on themselves maybe a little more just because they watch you do it like so eloquently. Mm -hmm. I want to catch it on camera one time so I can throw it up on TikTok or throw it up on the Facebook group and be like, this is what I mean when I say, yeah. uh, but of course, my it it never happens when my camera's already running and I'm too busy making sure I'm going through the process and figuring out what I want to be like, oh, I should record this. Yeah, we could stage it. <laughs> I've totally done that. 
I, uh, <laughs> in my Facebook group, I have a whole, like, one of my other partners did a communication thing for me. So we played out some communication scenarios in healthy ways and unhealthy mm. ways. And it was so difficult to do the unhealthy ways because we're so well-versed in health <laughs> communication now <laughs> that it was like, oh, wait, we're supposed to be fucking this up completely. Hold on. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Let me let me not listen to you because I was listening. Shit. <laughs> right? I, can, I can actually say everything back to you that you just said exactly it's a bad example yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um i i listened to your you being featured on the nope we're not monogamous podcast um alicia payne Mm -hmm. that was alicia alicia okay apologies um alicia payne is i'm like i need to listen to some more of those because mm-hmm. I was like, this is so interesting and I really enjoyed it. But um, your quote about not over-communicating, like when you, I'll just read it. There's no such thing as over-communicating. If you feel like you're having the same conversation over and over, you're not over-communicating, you're miscommunicating. Exactly. That's exactly was, what it my, is. My whole mind was blown by that. I, cause I, I saw myself in conversations believing that I was a pretty effective communicator. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh no, I, I found myself beating something into someone else. And then it's like, but wait, there's a miscommunication here. I just don't know what it is. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Because, and part of that concept arose from listening to so many people and having felt this myself that you're too much. Why do you have to beat this to death? Why can't you just let it go? And the person who's hearing those things is feeling so fundamentally unheard that it feels almost unbearable to think that somebody who says that they love you, that says that they care about you, could feel like you are being a nuisance to them while you still feel so unheard. And so working with some clients of mine is kind of how I put that together in such a neat little package. But it was because when people are going over and over and over again, both sides probably feel like they're communicating effectively, but both sides feel fundamentally unheard And so at the end of the day, it is just a miscommunication. It's not that, because if you're communicating effectively, it's usually one and done, or maybe two and done if you have to go back and and rework something for that conversation, for that topic, whatever it may be. And that's how you know that you're not miscommunicating because you're both like, okay, this is good. And sometimes there is still miscommunication that comes up after the fact. But at the moment, both people walk away from the conversation feeling good about it. Yeah. Getting that into play is is a hard concept. It's a skill. We were not taught how to communicate. We were taught to shut people down if we were frustrated. We were taught that our feelings didn't matter and nobody needed to listen to us. We were taught not to care about other people's feelings because that's, that's what happened to us. So that must be how it goes. Do you think that there's an element of competition 
in communication and like a desire to win? I think to, to that, be right. I think that depends a lot on the upbringing. I think if that's what you were exposed to, that's the messaging that you got and you grew up with, then mm -hmm. possibly. But if you grew up in a, you know, you should be seen and not heard type environment, then you just want to be heard, but you keep getting shut down. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's so interesting when you look back at the upbringing, it's like the explanation for what is, mm -hmm. for what you're experiencing now. It's so interesting. It's, it's like this, we're having this like massive awakening of our generation to be like, holy shit, like, yes, that's exactly what happened in my childhood. And yes, that's exactly why I am the way I am now. Yeah. Oh. And so it sucks because this now means we have a lot of emotional labor to go through and we have a lot of work to do to get mm -hmm. to a better place. But as we're learning these skills, we're implementing them better for the next generation. And we're spreading it out into other people. I know these skills. I have these skills. Everything that I teach, I am very well versed in and I am very, very good at. But as I have people in my life, I pass these skills on to them, even without intending to. Like, I'm not sitting down and coaching every single person who walks into my life. And yet, they all walk away with more skills mm -hmm. than they came to me with, just because I am now living them, I am embodying them, and they're picking up on that. And they're going, cool, this, this feels way easier. Like, this is way nicer than what I'm used to. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, you just gotta, if you want to, to teach anything or change the world in any kind of way, simply walk the walk and you've done it. You've already begun that journey. I'm trying. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see you, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. I like being seen. It's I hear you. Yeah. So I'll share this with you because it's a story I've been sitting on for a while and I wasn't sure where to share it. But when I was like, I don't know, 19 or so, somebody proposed to me and I told him no. And like, there were a lot of really good reasons to say no at the time. Mm. But the only reason I said no was because he wanted to be famous. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near that. And now here I am. And I'm like, yes, I would love to be famous. I would love to be known as the queen of communication. I would love to be known as like uh, the authenticity, whatever alliteration goes with that, that I can't come up with. Like now I want to be known for this. This is why I would like to be famous. Like if I could be the next Brene Brown or something like that, I would totally take that, but not like a-list celebrity like <laughs> this is what I want to be known for now you're preaching yes yeah oh but I just think it's funny that I turned down his proposal solely based on his wanting to be famous and now I'm like no I could I could use a little bit of that oh my gosh <laughs> wow yeah. but but did he pull it off we'll have to go back and find out I would have to remember his name. Like you'd think that he proposed to me. I remember his name, but 
it's so weird. Like my, my childhood was so weird. And that's what happens when you're raised Catholic, you're encouraged to get married. So young, I, by 20, I had like six different marriage proposals. Because oh, he was, he was just one of six. Let's just yeah. one of six. Well, yeah. they, <laughs> a lot of it boiled down to, they wanted to get laid, but you're not supposed to have sex before you get married when you're Catholic. Yeah. And so hurry up and get married so we can have sex. And I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah yeah oh, i'm good i'm good and he honestly he probably thought he was sealing the deal like gonna be famous like you know tie the knot with me it's all good and you were like such a turn off no yeah i was like it's no thank no. you like let's ignore the fact that we're fundamentally incompatible in so many other ways and let's just get married i think a lot of it was that he was like riding on this idea that our peers were like oh my god i've been proposed to oh this is so amazing and like that's a big moment and i don't want to detract from it it is a big moment but like the motivation behind it was so wrong for so many people that we knew Mm -hmm. and it's like you you can have your moment but let's make sure you're getting into a quality relationship first which looks like what What's a quality relationship? Um, well, three standards, top three standards. Fundamental compatibility. Okay. Mm-hmm. People who want to get, want to have kids, marrying people who don't want to have kids. That's a fundamental incompatibility, but people don't think to talk about it until they're already in love. Yeah. And then it becomes this big to do. Um, the willingness and dedication to personal growth. If you have one person who's into personal growth and one person who couldn't care less about it, you're going to run into so many problems and it's not compatible. You're not going to Mm -hmm. experience a good relationship until it's something that you both genuinely want. And some people don't ever care to grow. They're fine staying the way they are. And so then you're just Mm -hmm. in a frustrating relationship that doesn't bring you happiness. Right. Um, and then I would say the other thing is, is communication. Like everything that I teach are like the pillars that hold up communication and they're all braids. Like I have so many analogies for this, but, but as far as like, when you're actually in a romantic relationship, this, the autonomy and the personal boundaries and the understanding your emotions, they all hold up communication. You have to have those things in place. You have to have a good concept of those to be able to communicate them effectively. And so you kind of need the whole structure, but also communication is probably the most important element of that structure. Sure. Yeah. Isn't communication just the conduit by which we connect in the first place it can be yeah Mm. so it depends on how you go about it right it just seems essential like you know that old game of like telephone any communication training has that game where like you say the thing and then it goes around the circle to all the people by then it's like unrecognizable like who said this this is not how it began mm-hmm. so if you're sending a message that is malformed or encoded improperly well the receiver like they can't do anything with it mm-hmm. and then how is that point of connection supposed to actually play out and that's why i stress not just communication but effective communication like 
if you look at all of my stuff, it specifies effective communication because we can communicate till we're blue in the face, but if we're lacking the the tools that make it effective, we're not getting very far. And so like in the game of telephone, cut out the middleman. Like in my so in polyamory, a lot of a lot of there's a lot of overlap in a lot of polycules. And so we have partners in common or we have friends with our partners and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that we do is we make sure we're not using any middlemen that are not absolutely necessary because we want that unfiltered message. We don't want to filter it through somebody else's bias or somebody else's memory lapse or somebody else's experience where they're going to twist the words. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, it's a thing that frustrates people when they're new to experiencing me is I'll be like, oh, okay, that's good information. You should tell this person directly. Yeah. I'm not going to communicate it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that is taking personal responsibility for the message, Mm -hmm. which people resist. Yes. Because it's like, oh, those words have to come out of my mouth. That means I own them. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) You just perfectly summed up exactly you know, a lot of the frustration I see around communication and we are more willing to sacrifice somebody else's feelings to get our point across than we are to sacrifice our own feelings. So, you know, if the, if it's not received well, and some of it isn't conditioning, some of it is trauma response. Some of it is just lack of experience. If you haven't communicated like this before, it feels really intimidating. It feels really stressful when I'm telling you to be specific and to, you know, give as many details as possible and provide as much clarity as possible. Um, I'm writing a book on communication as we speak. And I was taking some clients through the first part of it. And we were talking about deal breakers. And I was like, okay, here's the deal breakers. Now you've discussed it. Now ask clarifying questions because you think you understand the deal breakers and how each of you feel about them. But I guarantee you there's at least one in each area that you haven't even thought of, like one element that you haven't even thought of yet. What's an example of a clarifying question? I love this. So when you have, so I don't know how familiar you are of the concept of veto power and polyamory, where if an already existing dyad relationship opens into polyamory one person being able to say no i don't want you to see this person anymore i want you to end this relationship is considered veto power saying i can toss this out and you have to end the relationship that's my right as your partner Mm -hmm. and there's nothing ethical about veto power at all no matter what anybody tries to tell you Mm -hmm. you should not be able to have control over a relationship that's not yours and so they had decided that they were both against veto power. They didn't have veto power in their existing relationships. They would not have veto power with each other. And I said, well, okay, what if, this is a good clarifying question, because what if your other partner, you have an agreement to no veto power, and they decide that they want to veto anyway? What are you going to do about that? How would you handle that? How would you protect me in this relationship what can i expect of you because you say you don't have veto but you can't 
control whether or not somebody tries to veto anyway, like later break that agreement and veto in the future. So how, right. how would you handle it? So even if you don't have the answer right then and there, it still gives you the opportunity to think about, okay, what would I do? How would I handle this? What would I say? What would I do? And I've used that with my partners before who were in existing relationships. I know you say you don't have veto, but what if, and I don't accept the answer. Well, it wouldn't happen because you can't control for what other people do. And mm -hmm. I was like, I, I need more information than this before I can continue on with this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little scary. And it, it, because if someone's not willing to play out the scenario, then the, I mean, it just sounds like they're kind of in denial. Exactly. And that's, that's just like, mm, I'm not sure what, what version of reality you're living in, but the, it's not a version that I'm comfortable being in because shit happens. Exactly. Humans like to human and humans do things that they don't agree to, or they say they wouldn't do when mm. they have human like feelings. I'd and love so, to quote you on that. <laughs> go for it. Humans like to human. Yes. Humans like to human. It's exactly what happens. Yes. And I love that you already alluded to this in the beginning of our chat, but like your agreements, right? They're not set in stone. They don't like just get determined at a single point in time and then they continue on a straight line trajectory forever. It's like, no, there, there's so many variables and, and different circumstances that alter um, and alter you it goes without saying. And so then you're now literally a different human being than you were yesterday. Um, only now you're held to an agreement you made in the past. I, I just, I don't like that at all fundamentally. And I, and I know that you were the one that brought this up. So um, I, I would think that you'd agree with that, but, but just it's limiting. And it's also using the past as a reference point, which I see the benefit of in terms of like learning, but, but if I'm only going to look to the past for what I'm capable of, then I'm missing a whole lot because mm -hmm. there's a lot in my past that I don't want to repeat. Exactly. And when you regularly discuss and revisit your agreements, you can look at the past, you can look at the present, and you can look at the future. You can look at the things that you've learned about yourself and say, okay, this might actually influence how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. And if you, so like looking at the past, my husband doesn't like roller coasters. I went on his first roller coaster ride with him and he hated it and it was miserable. And so if he took, well, I don't like roller coasters and a pro put it over any other situation of like a wheeled vehicle, he would then say, I don't want to do any of this ever. Right. And it's okay to have that basis to know that, okay, I'm probably not going to want to do this, you know, mining cart, whatever that goes through the mines at, you know, a decent clip or up and down hills or whatever it was that he didn't like about it. Mm -hmm. And transpose that and go, yeah, that's probably not my thing. But to transpose it over everything and never get in a car again, 
that's not realistic and reasonable. And so, yes, it's okay to pull some information from that, but you don't want to pull everything from that and just make it a blanket rule for your life. It sounds like a reference. Yeah, exactly. Rather than a rule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. And you're giving like really good, again, practical examples that that are just going to be really easy to relate to because it's like, okay, things on wheels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Most of us get in a car every day or on a train or a bus or something. Right. And you just don't want to take one thing and make it mean everything to your life. And, you know, yes, okay, I'm allergic to pineapple, so I probably shouldn't eat pineapple, but also I probably shouldn't eat things with pineapple on it. That would be an okay reference point to pull and make a blanket thing, but it's on an individual basis. It's not, well, I don't like things with wheels, so I can't ever have anything with pineapple. You're not equating the two. You're not making a blanket rule in every single area of your life. You're separating out each thing and looking at the value of using it, pulling from your past, using it for the present and using it for the future. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that there's like a a continual willingness to discard that blanket and to question it. And I, in my personal growth journey, just really held on to it. The willingness to examine, like, how is this serving me? Is it functioning well? Am I feeling good to use your standard? Is this particular reference point causing me to feel good or not Mm -hmm. and then it also you know as you're examining it on a case-by-case basis it helps you form different agreements in different relationships because you can take these things and apply them not just to romantic relationships but to friendships and family and work partnerships and you know your coworkers whatever volunteer opportunities you take any of those things all of these skills are transferable so yes i focus on the queer and polyamorous communities because they're vastly underserved by professional services like these there's a lot of ignorance and willful hatred towards people who fit into these communities And so I wanted to specialize in them, but these skills literally apply to every person and every interpersonal connection that you have. And so when you look at these, you can form unique agreements for each relationship. So if you both don't like two wheeled vehicles and never want to take a car again or whatever, then maybe you just stay home and that's your thing. And that's what you do Mm -hmm. or you know, but this person maybe doesn't like roller coasters, but will totally do the the rail cart through the mines thing with you. Mm-hmm. And so you can look and evaluate on a per relationship basis because we don't want to, you know, I alluded to earlier how you can't, you can't and you should not be able to, as in your partner should not allow you to exert control over a relationship that is not yours. And so we don't want to take these rules and go, well, mm-hmm. you know, that would be like my husband being like, I don't like roller coasters. So you can't ride roller coasters with anybody else. Like you can never go on a roller coaster with anyone else. 
because I don't like them. And people take these in real life, real actual relationship affecting things and try to implement them. Well, yeah. I don't like this, so you shouldn't do this. And if you do this with somebody else, then I'm going to end our relationship and other toxic habits. And so we need to look at each thing and then how we feel about it. It's important to know how we feel about things first, and then you can have the conversation with a partner about how that needs to go for the two of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Making sure to have the conversation within the context of each relationship. And then I wonder, and I've, I've heard you talk about this before, but the big, bad, you know, jealousy that comes in, because when I've set a standard over here with this particular relationship, well, now, you know, my other partner wants me to, to have the same agreement with them when it's like, they don't necessarily compare like that. Like that's not the agreement that we have. So the, the, the jealousy just kind of like butting in, it, it doesn't sound appropriate. And, and what do you, what can you do about that? Just to uphold the agreements that you've made between these two different partnerships or relationships. So I like to look things at things as, are they temporary or long-term? Are we talking like a one-off one thing or are you asking me to implement this in my relationship forever? So example that I use is my husband and I had talked about going to the melting pot for years and we were just never able to afford to go. Mm. And my boyfriend wanted to take me for my birthday or something like that. And I was telling my husband about it and he was like, well, I would like you to wait to go to the melting pot until we can go together because we've been talking about this for a while now. And since we were selling our house, we knew we'd have an influx of cash and that's how we were gonna celebrate was go to the melting pot. So I was asking, my husband was asking me to wait a few more months before mm -hmm. doing this one thing that we had been talking about for a while. And ultimately it was my decision. I had the agency to say, yes, yeah. I will wait or no, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I felt comfortable saying, yeah, I can totally wait and do that after this, like we can go have our fun, do our date there and I can experience it with you. Mm -hmm. And then I'm free to go to the melting pot anytime with anybody that I want. And so that one time yeah. agreement, I was willing to make. And then mm -hmm. in another situation, a partner wanted to go with, wanted him to go with on a trip to somewhere that we had been talking about for a couple of years to go. And it was a much bigger thing and we were not going to have the means and the ability to go together for a long time. Like there was no point in sight where I could say, yes, well, we could do this. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, no, I'm not going to ask you to not do that just because there is no reasonable time frame for it that I could be like, you know, if we could go in a weekend, then maybe, you know, next weekend, I might say, yeah, please hold off. I really like to do this with you. But there was no reason for me to say, well, if we can't go together, then you can't go at all. First of all, I can't do that anyway, because mm -hmm. I don't have that kind of agency and control over his life. But also, yeah. it wouldn't be reasonable for me to ask him to not do this thing that we might not be able to do for years together. That is rare energy uh, to, to like gift someone the freedom of their experience 
without restraint. That's what I heard. And I like looking at it on a short term versus long term. Again, good examples because sometimes, and in both of your examples, there was like a monetary theme, Mm -hmm. but, but there usually is like a, just a limiting factor for whatever reason we can or we can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I could not tell him. So this trip that he wanted to take, I could not tell him no on a relationship basis because I don't control his relationship. Now it is separate that he and I have tied finances and tied childcare responsibilities so being so honestly evaluating, is this coming from a place of, no, I don't want you to do this because fear of missing out and jealousy, or is this coming from a place of, you know, I need the childcare support or we cannot afford this right now are two very different things. And that's one thing that I like to make sure people realize and understand is distinct in my relationships. And the, the way we do polyamory is we keep childcare and household responsibilities completely and totally separate from our relationships. So if I'm saying, no, we don't have the money. And my husband goes back to his partner and says, we can't do this. I don't have money. Then it's not, it's very clearly a set precedent that it's not because he values his relationship with me more. It is literally a matter of there are not enough funds in the bank to support this trip that they want to take. Yeah. Because that's something that gets clouded and colluded, especially in people who practice hierarchy in their polyamory, is choosing to do something that is part of your household or childcare responsibilities is seen as favoring your partner or having a primary, you know, prioritizing your partner. Mm. And in this case, it's just not true. And we set that precedent very early on in our relationships because we can say it all we want, but that doesn't mean people believe it. We have to build that trust muscle that says, yes, I will choose you when I can choose you. But if I choose this, it's not me choosing a partner. It's me choosing a responsibility that needs my attention. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I was going to ask about that because it's like, what do you do when your own personal desires are in direct contrast to your partners? And this is back to the food example. mm -hmm. So for that, I actually have a system and I haven't, I don't have it in writing yet because it, the process happens in my brain so fast that I haven't caught how to like, you got to slow it it. down. Exactly. (laughs) But I have a system. So if I have two people who both need my attention, who both want my attention, the very first thing that I do is I figure out what I want first, because I need to be making an informed decision. And that means knowing what I genuinely want what I want to happen, where I want to be, how I want to be spending my time, where I want to be giving my support. And then I talk to both of them and I find out what's going on. What is this? What does this look like? Is this an emergency? Is this just a really bad thing? Is this, you know, do you have other support people? Is this time sensitive? Is there some other support that I would need to gather first? Do I need to go to your house and pick up stuff for you? Do I need to, you know, so I go through this whole series of questions and sometimes if it is an emergent situation for both people, 
it's a little bit more difficult to have these conversations clear headed, but because I've done this so many times, I'm fairly well versed in it. And so usually I will choose the person who doesn't have more support. So when my partner lost their job, they already had another partner who was there to support them and available to support them. So I chose the partner who didn't already have the support and then went later to offer my support to them. And so it's just this cascading series of questions. And I look at anything that could possibly affect what this is. Am I driving 15 minutes? Am I driving 15 hours? Am I, you know, do I need to yeah. put gas in the car? Do I need to buy a plane ticket? All of these things are going to affect what I choose, but I also know where I want to be too, so that I can factor that in for myself. Yeah. Man, you are a powerful example of just treating yourself as one of the relevant parties, like, and, and checking in with yourself before even entering into anything with anybody else. How does that clear you up? It's so powerful. You already know you're clear on you. So then you can show up for, for anyone else. We are taught, especially if you are socialized and raised femme, that we should always make sure other people are happy, that other people's happiness matters more. And mm -hmm. so we end up with this empty cup syndrome where we're trying to pull, pour from an empty cup and we are so burnt out and we're not showing up well for anybody because we are not showing up for ourselves at all. And I'm also a huge proponent of informed decisions. And you can't make an informed decision if you don't know what you want. Because you are a party in this. Even if you are being asked to support two other people, you are still part of each equation. And so, you know, even, even in the minor things, you, again, starting small, if your partner says, I want to have Chinese for dinner, speak up and say, no, I'd really rather have pizza. And that's a small way that you can start. That's a small way that you can not just know what you want, but start vocalizing it to other people. Somebody mm -hmm. says, you know, I want to watch a Marvel movie. And you're like, I really want to watch a DC movie. Like, vocalize mm -hmm. it, verbalize it. Start to trust yourself to speak up by using little everyday anything that you can come up with. Like, that's one of the things that I tell my clients is find every little thing every day that you can to practice these skills because you want to practice them when the stakes are low because they really require practice you can't expect to go into yeah. the big leagues and have this giant conversation when you haven't been able to say no i want to watch a dc movie mm -hmm. instead of marvel yeah but in that way those smaller decisions are actually big decisions, um, the becoming of big decisions. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. want to have that practice under your belt. You don't want to go in with no confidence in yourself and no self-assurance that, yes, I can show up for myself. And yes, I can stand in that even if there's pushback. I always tell people that my first my first real step into autonomy was deciding that I didn't want to make my husband coffee in the morning anymore. And that was like a defining moment of my life saying, no, I don't want to make coffee anymore. 
-hmm. but I needed to start somewhere. And there was no Mm -hmm. life on the line. There was no life altering moment in saying, no, I don't want to make coffee anymore. Even though it ended up being a life altering moment, because that was the first time that I made a decision based on what I wanted to do and not whether or not it would make somebody else happy. Yeah, man. Well, you are like, you're a powerful force and, and you represent those small moments really well. And I think you just give us all hope that, that we can own those small moments too, and become the, the person who trusts and listens to and honors that authentic self. Because, you know, like you said, you know, when it doesn't feel right. And how often do you stuff that voice down, right? And, and then like all the ramifications and all the consequences that come from that when it could be avoided if you, if you honored your desire, no matter how small, and then just stack and stack and stack. And grow that, that confidence. I want to see a world of radically honest people. I want to see a world filled with people Mm-hmm. who can not only say what they want and what they need, but people can hear it and not make it mean something that it doesn't mean. So humans are, are meaning-making machines. We like to make and find meaning in everything, even if it doesn't exist. I want somebody to be able to say, I know I made these plans with you two weeks ago, but I don't want to go. And the other piece of person be like, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. Instead of this, oh, I really don't want to go, but I don't want to tell them I don't want to go. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to, yeah. what excuse can I make? What happens if they figure out my, it's just an excuse. And the other person being like, oh, I haven't heard from them. And now they don't want to go. I wonder if that means they hate me. Like just these simple bits of being able to be honest with ourselves in this practice will build into a radically honest world, which is not cruelty, but just authenticity. I can trust your yes, because you tell me no. I can trust that you mean this because you tell me when you don't mean this. Yes. Yeah. You were on a Brene vibe there. (laughs) Yeah. Yay, maybe I'll be a household name by next year. (laughs) I welcome that. I will blast your podcast throughout my my day and my house. (laughs) I I would totally be down for that. My uh, middle child is actually talking about being a producer for a podcast for me. So I'm like, I I could could be down with this. Yes, yes. Are you, are you doing a podcast? Is that something you want to get into? (laughs) Those are two very different questions. (laughs) Yes. I want to get into it. I am not currently because, um, I am new. I've never owned a business until April of this year of, well, of 2021. And so I am taking my business coach's advice and getting really good at one thing at a time before I start adding, because I have a billion ideas, like, I have pages and pages and pages of ideas of things that I want to do. And so I am practicing self-restraint and I'm trying to get really good at one thing at a time, but it is on, on my, my to-do list. Yeah. I, I am not your client. You know, this, 
but you are really good at this. Well, thank you. So that. there's a checkbox for you. I had so much fun between this one and the other one that I was on. I was like, yeah, I really want to do this now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is you've already been on one and two now. So it's just like when it comes to be your time, you step in and you're like, I've been there, done that. Like, <laughs> I'm here. What as I long as I don't it. have to do the production part, I'm good with that because I don't like the tedious stuff. Yeah. I will I will coach and I will talk about this shit all day long. But as soon mm-hmm. as I have to start doing back end stuff and I'm like, I don't want to. Yep. I love it. You know where you want to be. Exactly. You, you stay in your lane. I just I just well I can't quite stay in my lane yet because I hear that people want you to pay them when they start doing the things like your backend work and stuff. <laughs> and so since I'm still new, I'm still still working up to that point. Right. Except when it's your kid, it's like, I don't know, child labor laws. Who knows? Uh, well, I don't know. I hear some things I have to talk to. I don't know about having your kids work in your business. And Mm. The other thing is I want to have a fallback because one of the things that we do is that like we stress the importance of commitment, but this would be an example of where I will allow them to make a commitment. But if they decide that they don't like it, I'm going to let them back out. And I don't want to be like five episodes in. I want to be able to hire somebody into that place (laughs) if they're like, no, I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I get that. I get that. I like giving them life skills, but I also like giving them opportunities to, I don't know, know what they want and speak up for it. Yeah. Oh, you're like, that's a crazy idea. Right? Who knew? (laughs) Treating your child like a human? What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the concept that kids are like capable of teaching us things. I like to remember that because too often we, we look down on them and we're like, Oh, you, you lack this life experience. And it's like, but they also have these fresh set of eyes. Mm -hmm. They're not calloused and they, they just, they're tapped into their, their, their true self. And we can learn a lot from that. Yes. I like to parent from a perspective that, you know, my child's experience is real and it is their experience and I can't determine that for them but I do let them know and I'm very very blunt about it I'm very straightforward there are just some ways that you do not have the life experience it is not possible for you to have the life experience yet because your brain development has not reached that stage and because you have not spent enough years on the planet and it doesn't say anything about who you are or what your capabilities are it is just a matter of fact that there is no way that you can have this life experience. So I would like for you to listen to me because I still want them to make the decisions that they can, that they are capable of at this point. But I want to develop that trust so that when I say you, you just, you can't know this yet, that they know that I'm not just blowing smoke up their ass and that I'm being real with them. And so that they can make better decisions. Right. Well, you've extended them the freedom to choose. And then it's also, you know, you have those boundaries of like, you probably just, you're not there yet developmentally or whatever it is. So with both sides of that coin, like 
it, it sounds like they would be inclined to trust you. So far, so good. I yeah. Two teenagers, and so far, they seem to believe me when I tell them <laughs> the things that they can't yet know. Well, there you are, working on that that uh, worldwide honesty, radical honesty. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. proud of it. Right, as you should be. Well, um, I I know I I went like way over on time. <laughs> I I so appreciate your time though. And and the chat was like just like natural and and informative for me because there's so many things I think that with your particular experience I can just absorb and listen and and learn. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And that's my goal is I want it to be bite-sized and accessible at some level to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, hit, you're hitting the mark on that one too. Yay. Mm-hmm. That always makes me happy. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad we did this. This was fun. Me too. For any of the listeners of the podcast, where do you want them to find you and your incredible work? TikTok, the Facebook group, Polyamory Growth Group. And it's for queer and polyamorous humans that want to intentionally work on personal growth. And my personal Facebook page, as long as you're not an asshole, I welcome friend requests there. Um, And then, of course, my website. Right now, I've got journal prompts for personal growth on there. Discovering your authentic self and getting that that journey started because you got to start somewhere. Yeah, that's so helpful. Healthyhumaning.com. I've started adding this fierce to the beginning of my name and it has to do with fully standing in my queer identity. And so for me, that's like, that's owning it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I'm, I'm not there yet. Like we kind of chatted about this whole time. Like I'm, I'm a work in progress for sure. And so just having it in my tag and my name is like, this is me, you know, Ashley, don't forget you're the fierce version right you're you're the real the real deal it's your authenticity coming out and it's okay if it takes time it's okay if it's a process like yeah i don't know many people who are like you got a kool-aid man this shit you can you can dip your toe in the water it's okay we allow for that here yeah i just gotta give myself some space i think oh is it deanna right it's actually diana diana day on a like i spent the day on a farm did you no but that's how people remember me i met somebody and i met a group of people in pennsylvania and told them that and then like two or three years later i ran into them again in canada and they still remembered me because of that because of the farm because of they yeah they spent the day on a farm dayana i got it it highlights my quirkiness let's just say that Mm mm-hmm I like it. Well, thanks again. No, thank you. This conversation is really special. I just wanted to reiterate that to you. If you found something helpful in this episode, I want you to share it with someone who means a lot to you and just ask like, hey, what do you think about this? Check out this episode. Let's have a conversation about this. Are you happy with the way that boundaries are in your life or in your relationship right now? Do you have any new boundary goals? This is a really cool way for you to explore that. And I'm excited to present the opportunity. So thanks for tuning in.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and join me online where you'll get more support at facebook.com slash groups slash hero in the mirror.